0: If you have a Bible with you, I would invite you to open it up to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to look at this very familiar story, the account in scripture of the so-called wise men of the Magi. If you've grown up in the church, you've heard this before. If you were here with us on Christmas Eve, this was one of the texts that we use, a very familiar piece of scripture. And what we're going to do today is try and draw some practical application for us, those of us living in the world in 2023 a brand new year whether you are a christian for your entire life here today or if you're exploring christianity for the very first time if you're not sure what you believe about god's word about jesus christ born into this world we're going to look at two points number one what we see in this text is actually a proof if you will of the inclusive love that god has for not just the hebrew people but every tribe every nation that's what we're going to look at what does that mean for us And number two, there is actually an appropriate response. Once you come to faith in Christ, once you understand, once you believe that you are a sinner in need of salvation, and that Jesus is the one that provides it for you, how do we respond in this world? We'll see it here in our text. Now, for many of us, this is what we think of when we hear this story, the wise men with gifts and little baby Jesus, maybe some shepherds, a bright star overhead. Anybody have a nativity scene like this at their house? Maybe an ornament on the tree, a Christmas card. And this is good. This is great. Uh, A couple years ago, when I was trying to prove to you that I knew what I was doing as a young pastor, uh, I took an entire epiphany sermon and broke down how this is completely historically inaccurate. And the people spoke. And the people said, never do that again. You ruin Christmas. So I'm not going to do that today. I've matured as a pastor, as you can see. But what we do need to do is unpack this. Why are the Magi there and what does it mean for us? And to do that, we got to go back to the very beginning. And by that, I mean, if you want, you can jump with me to Numbers chapter 24. Numbers chapter 24. Numbers is one of the books in the Bible where if you have ever tried to read through the Bible in like a year or two years, you probably gave up at Numbers. You're like, I made it through Leviticus, I'm done. I can't make it through. Numbers is a tough book. But in the book of Numbers, chapter 24, verse 17, we have this incredible scripture passage it was a prophecy given to a man by the name of Balaam where we see for the one of the very first times in the Old Testament the promise of the Messiah and Balaam says this I see him this this mysterious being but not now I behold him but not near a star will come out of Jacob out of Israel a star And this is important because in the ancient Near East, stars were very, very important, not just so you could chart the skies and know where you were going, but it was important religiously. And people believed that you could derive meaning from the stars. So for example, if you were a king, if you weren't sure if you were supposed to go to war with another king, you might have one of your sages, one of your priests, explore the sky. And if they saw an unusual pattern that they haven't seen before, they would derive some meaning and say, yes, king, you should go to battle. Or no king, you should stay home. It's not good for you. So this was important for the people religiously. It was important philosophically. And if you fast forward with me now, another couple centuries later, thousands of years later to the time of Daniel, if you're familiar with your scripture, this is Daniel in the lion's den who miraculously escaped that. And Daniel, the book itself, is half narrative. The other half is prophecy. And Daniel's super important to the story. It's super important to the magi because it was Daniel who had a couple different things given to him through prophecy. Number one, Daniel determined, Daniel was given the uh, uh, foresight or knowledge that it was going to be about 500 years from the point where Daniel received the prophecy that the Messiah was actually going to show up, that this star was going to appear. It was going to be about 500 years, the 5th century B.C., And then number two, Daniel is given knowledge as to which empire was going to be the one in charge. He foresaw that the Babylonian empire in which he was currently living was going to get wiped out by the Persians. The Persians were going to get taken over by the Greeks, and the Greeks were going to get wiped out by the Romans, and it was going to be during the Roman empire in roughly 500 years when this great prophecy of old from Numbers 24, 17 was finally going to be fulfilled. Now, if you're a Jewish person at that time, you're going to be paying attention because you're waiting for this. Your country is in shambles. Jerusalem has been sacked. You're living far away from your family. You are eagerly waiting for this to take place. But the other group of people who were similarly invested in this prophecy, a group of people who studied the stars, the priestly class of people, the advisors to the king were known as the magi. And incredibly, the magi through the centuries actually listened to Daniel's prophecy. They took it to heart. They studied the Old Testament. They knew about Isaiah that Pastor Nate just read, Isaiah 60. They knew that there was this mysterious king, this this conquering hero who was going to come into the world, didn't know much else about him. They just knew that he was going to be coming and it was going to be attached with a star. And so 500 years later... These mysterious magi see something in the star, they get together, they have a conversation, they go, hey, look, do you think this is what this guy Daniel was talking about? Do you think this is really the star that's gonna prophesy this coming king? Is this, could this be the time? Is it happening? And they take a leap of faith. They pack up their camels. They march 900 miles, most likely, if they came from Babylon, 900 miles, two to three months' journey, show up at the palace where you think the king would be, knock on Herod's door, and I love what Matthew tells us kind of indirectly about what they thought of Herod, because as soon as they see him, they go, you're not the guy. And they ask a question, where is this king born of the Jews? You mean, do you have a nursery somewhere behind you? Is is one of your sons? And Herod freaks out because he wants to control his power like any of us. We don't like when our power is threatened. He especially was a brutal tyrant, uh, killed, I think, two of his wives, three of his brothers trying to protect his power and his little kingdom that he had in Jerusalem. He was threatened by it. He asked the scribes, the religious leaders, hey, what is this Messiah? What is this guy talking about? You can imagine the scribes kind of blowing the dust off their Bibles. Oh, yeah, it says right here, this Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem, they tell the Magi. Just a couple miles down the road, they pack up all their stuff, they get on their camels, they head to Bethlehem, and then look at what they do when they see the star again. It says that they were, first of all, filled with this Emotional type of joy, exceedingly great joy, because their journey was coming to an end. They, they think that they're finally getting close to figuring out who this Jesus was, and look at verse 11. When they do see him, what's their response? This is like where you talk back to me. It's okay. What do they do? They fall down and worship him. They fall down. This is intentional language. It means their knees buckled beneath them at the sight of seeing Jesus. They fall to their faces and they worship a baby. Now this is where we can start to draw some meaning for ourselves here today. What does it mean that God used these, and I know this is an offensive term to some, essentially for our purposes, pagan astrologers who were doing something that's forbidden in Scripture. God says, you don't look to the stars. You don't look to the sky for meaning. You have it in my word. You have it in my prophets. But they were seeking out Jesus. God used them to reveal to all of us outside the Jewish nation that Jesus Christ was born into the world, and when they meet Jesus, the Holy Spirit enters their heart. They fall on their knees. They believe that Jesus is who this text actually says he is, What does that mean for us? Well, first of all, it means that if you are far from God today, if somebody brought you here to church and you're not sure what you believe about Jesus, if you're watching from home and you're questioning, you're seeking, it means that God actually can love someone who doesn't have everything figured out. That God actually loves people who are not theologically perfect who don't have their Bibles memorized, that God has room in his heart for the imperfect person who is seeking him and he will stop at nothing, including physically manipulating the universe with the star to bring you close to himself. That's what it tells us if you're far from God today, that his love is radically inclusive and includes you who feel like you're not morally with it not theologically with it, not biblically with it. It is a radical inclusive love that we see here in our text that God would call these people to get to know him. I love the way that theologian and pastor Daniel Darling puts it. He says, speaking of the wise men, God can meet a seeking sinner with impure motives and uncertain beliefs and point that soul to his son. You don't have to be perfect to know that God loves you with a never-ending love. That's number one. Then number two, what does it mean for those of us who do call ourselves Christians? We do believe that Jesus died and rose on the cross for our sins, and we're sitting here in these pews, and we've been here many, many times before. What does it mean for us? Well, if God can have that kind of patience for an imperfect person who doesn't have it all together, who doesn't come here and share our same beliefs, doesn't that mean that we should probably as well open up our hearts, be a little bit more kind, be a little bit more accepting, a little bit more loving, who people who th- two people who think differently than us, believe differently than us, have different political beliefs, different moral beliefs and practice. After all, it was that same Jesus who would grow up and say that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son. And so what that means for us Christians in the room today is in 2023, I pray, actually pray, that people who are different than us are going to come into this building, who are wrestling with certain things, who aren't perfect, who don't know their Bibles, who don't know their theology. I pray they come in here, and I pray that they're met with love And with grace And with the same kind of patience That God not only showed the wise men But also shows us each and every day Who are sinful human beings Who walk in here with our own baggage And imperfections That's the radically inclusive nature Of God's love that we see here In this text with three wise men It's powerful But then What should our response be? There is an appropriate response. And I love that the Magi are included in this because we actually see in them, these imperfect people, a life worth imitating, a way in which we can experience God, brand new today, 2023. And three things that we see is, number one, they worship passionately. Look again, verse 11. What do they do? They see Jesus, and they fall on their knees, and they worship Him. That is some passionate worship. Now, Lutheran Christians here today. Lutheran Christians of primarily Norwegian and German and what we'll call emotionally challenged cultural group of people. I was sitting here just two weeks ago, Christmas Eve. Uh, Nate and Scott did the first two Christmas Eve services. Me and Scott did the second two. Standing right there, we had just sung Silent Night. Beautiful candles are being blown out. I do the benediction. And... Stand up and let's sing Joy to the World. Emily goes to the organ, Joy to the World's being played, and there were a few of you who smiled. But I cannot believe Lutheran Christians. How many of you sing Joy to the World like this? Joy to the World, the Lord. Could you at least fake it? Like smile a little bit? And I don't want to pick on this too much because, you know, there are denominations, there are churches that kind of emotionally manipulate you and teach you that you have to act a certain way. That's not what we want to do. But we have an opportunity in 2023 to reevaluate our passion. When you come into this place, are you just going through the motions? When you come up and you receive this miracle of christ's presence we can't explain it we take it by faith but god says that he attaches himself to the ordinary bread and ordinary wine he gives of himself to us in a miraculous way do you just take it for granted or could this be a year where we can pause and set a new new year's resolution that we're going to get back to the heart of worship to the passion The belief, the understanding of what God has done for us, giving himself in such an intimate way for his death and his resurrection. And it's an opportunity for us, if you've gotten out of the habit, if church is just something that you kind of add to your calendar, what would it look like for you, for your family, if this became a more regular rhythm and you made it a priority in your schedule, not because you're trying to get something from God. God has already given himself. You and God are good but out of response to that grace, to his mercy. They worship passionately, but they also give generously. The, the gifts that they give are impressive. Yes, the financial gifts, the gold, uh, frankincense and myrrh were very expensive ointments and oils during the time. But I also think it's interesting how they gave of their time. Again, if they came from Babylon, which they, they came somewhere from the east. 900-mile journey in those days, that's a, two-month, three-month trip there, plus however long they spend with Mary and Joseph and the baby. Then they have to go an alternate route home because Herod wants to kill them, wants to take them out. That's some dedication. That's some commitment. That is some, some time. And so what would it look like for us in our response to God's grace if we, for the very first time, had some measure of giving to those who were less fortunate? What if we started giving to our church? You know, the biblical mandate is 10%. If that seems like that's just crazy, I could never give 10%. What if you gave 1%? What if you volunteered at a soup kitchen for the very first time? What if you saw the refugee crisis that we have in our city? I think there's 600 Venezuelan refugees that were put here, asylum seekers. What would it look like if you opened up yourself some way to people who are in need? We can do that, not again, not again, not to earn God's love, but out of response to God's amazing love for us. They worship passionately, they give generously, and finally, they seek Him diligently. You know, one thing Jesus said when He was preaching on earth His three years of ministry, He often would say that the kingdom of God is best understood through the eyes of little children. That to be a little child is, is, is what it took to have faith, to realize that you're not in control, that there's this mystery out there, these questions, and a great illustration of this, uh, first service, we had the kids' message, and there was a little girl there by the name of Blakely, they're neighbors of ours, Blakely and her parents, and Blakely asked me a question a couple weeks ago, difficult question, she says, Micah, who was God the Father's mother? And I said, that is a great question, Blakely. You should ask Pastor Nate (laughs) No, we had a conversation We talked about it And she's, she's inquisitive She's curious And what she's doing Is a wonderful thing for us to do She's trying to figure out Who she is Who God is And what place she has in this world By asking questions And let me ask you adults in the room Are you still seeking him? Or do you think you got it all figured out? Because what the wise men show us that if you seek as jesus says you will find if you knock the door will be open to you and what if this year we could be a people who seek to grow in our relationship with him by for example as fate would have it coming back for a sermon series that's beginning next week on the ultimate questions we talk about what is the purpose of life, what is the meaning of life, who am I, and what purpose do I play in this world. Or you could come a little bit early next week to one of four Bible studies that we have where we study God's Word together and we share in Christian faith together. We have a women's Bible study on Tuesday morning. We have a men's Bible study on Saturday morning. We have missional communities throughout our city where some of the things that we do together is pray and study and talk and challenge. There are so many things that we can do. In 2023, as we reevaluate our relationship with God, may we be a people who worship passionately, give generously, and seek diligently the one who has given us so many good things. Amen.